0: Welcome to Camreal Community Church. If you are new to us, I want to say welcome. My name is David Hurtado. I'm the uh, lead pastor here, and if you're our guest, uh, you're in a great place, and I think uh, uh, hopefully this will be the place that God kind of, uh, you know, meets you right where you're at, and so that's uh, our hope and, and goal. Afterwards, I'll be in the patio, and so don't feel shy. Please come up and say hello. I love placing new faces with new names, although they do get confused every once in a while around here since there's so many people, uh, but we are glad you are here. Um, you know, when I was seven years old, I fell out of a truck. And I, and I know probably somebody thinking, oh, that, that I get it now. Like, did you, did you, like, did you hit your head, <laughs> you know? No jerky, I didn't hit my head. Uh, and it wasn't like I was in a stationary truck and fell out of the bed of the truck. I, I was in the truck, and, and it was moving, and I fell out of the truck. Uh, my dad had owned a, like, a 1950 Chevrolet. I just looked it up online, because I remember the picture of it, what it looked like in my mind. Uh, and it's like a 1950, that genre of t- truck didn't work too well back then when I was seven years old, even then, but we would still go in and drive. It was one of those single cab type of trucks. Uh, you know, my father would sit on one end, he's the driver, my brother would sit in the middle, and then I, the baby, would sit next to the uh, passenger side door, and the reason that was the case, is I just love the window, so I'd cry if I didn't get it, so they didn't put me in the middle, they put me on the side so I could open the window and stick my head out type of thing. And so I, I'm in that truck, and and, uh, and my father's driving, kind of veers through. The left, and as you imagine, when you're in a truck or in a car and you veer to the left, uh, centripetal force will push you to the right. Right, like your center of gravity kind of moves towards the right, and so all of us, our body masses are moving to the right, and, and I, which is pushing me closer to the passenger side door. All right? Now, if you, are, you own a car today that's you know, built after 1980, uh, it seems that you, you, you know that to get out of your car, you need to put your fingers inside uh, you know, kind of a, a little door handle, pull towards yourself, that unlatches the door and opens the door. Right? Everybody has one of those, but that's not the way it was in 1950. See, so in 1950, they have like this horizontal latch that you'd put your hand on and then you'd push down. And when you push down, that would open the door. But to a seven-year-old kid, that just becomes an armrest when we are driving. And so I'm on the armrest and my dad takes, you know, we're in residential road, you know, it's kinda like 15 to 20 miles an hour. He veers left kinda fast, everybody's center body mass is moving this way, centurical force is pushing me towards the door. I'm already resting on my armrest and that little jolt just puts my elbow down a little further and latch, boom, and I fly out. Fly out the car, 15 to 20 miles, I'm not sure, you know, how fast, so I know I remember spinning in the air and then falling on a beautifully new landscaped front yard. Uh, but it was the 80s, so the front yard was filled with like uh, 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 white rock, you know, that sparkling white, remember that, that sparkling white rock? Like we didn't just get regular flat black white rock, it was like sparkling rock with blood all over it now. But anyway, so I'm sitting there, I'm yelling, I'm screaming, my dad comes and picks me up. We were taking the truck and the bikes behind the, on the truck so we could go. You know, to the Golden Gate Park in San Francisco and ride our bikes, and that whole thing got, you know, terminated because of that situation. And I'm bleeding on my elbows, all, you know, all four appendages, blood. We go back to the house, and my dad says, All right, um, this is going to sting and this is going to hurt, but we're going to make sure that you heal properly. And this is all in Spanish because he didn't know English very much. And I remember this red potion bottle. I, I don't know what it is, I couldn't tell you the name of it, but it's a red potion bottle. It had a little squeezy thing on it. And he take it out, and he goes, this is gonna burn. And boy, did it burn. Uh, and he goes, this is gonna burn, but when it dries, your body will heal correctly. And uh, he placed it on me, and it did burn, and I screamed some more, and my body did heal correctly. My elbows and my knees are fine. I don't wear shorts very often because I don't want to stumble anybody. <laughs> Thank you. So This is hilarious. That's, you guys gotta wake up Um, because my knees are that, anyway. So so anyway, uh, I'm fine, I'm fine. I made it, some people come up to me and say, you don't finish your stories, and I wonder what happened. I'm here, and I'm fine. (laughs) And uh, anyway, I share that because uh, spiritual healing often works that way as well. Uh, There's a process that at first stings, and, and at first it hurts, but it just means that healing is on the way. Uh, And we're going to kind of look at that today. Actually, the best part of that story that I didn't share is like five years later, that family that had that beautiful white sparkling walk decided to change their landscape to nice fluffy grass. Isn't that great? Jerks. All right. Today, we're going to kind of look at that idea in our passage today. In the book of Daniel, we've been in the book of Daniel for several weeks now, and we'll dive in again, and we'll kind of see this idea that, that sometimes it stings a little at first spiritually speaking, but then God can bring about healing. And that's available to you and to me, as it was to even Nebuchadnezzar, who was uh, far from a guy who would even worship the same God of the Old Testament. And so that's available to you just like it's available to me. We're going to kind of see this thing in our our passage, and and, and we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar hit a big setback in life. And sometimes the setbacks in our own life are even self-imposed setbacks, if I'm willing to admit it. I kind of did that one to myself. But even in the midst of those setbacks, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity for God to do something inside of you, which he has been intending to do the whole time. And so we're gonna look at this. What is the goal in these situations, these setbacks, and and how does God get us there? Uh, How does he uh, desire that we walk, and, and what will he do if we respond that way? What is our role? And how can we get healed? We're gonna be in the book of Daniel to look that through. So I encourage you to open your Bibles right now. If you have a phone, open it up, take out your Bible app and get there with me. We're in Daniel chapter four. We're gonna look at verses 28 to 37. Uh, So chapter four, 28 through 37, as you get there, let me just give you some context because we took a week off last week. We talked about the state of the church which I think is wonderful, uh, the state of where we are and where we're going. And then the week before though, we talked about how uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had another dream. Remember he had a dream very early on in the book of Daniel and we looked at that, he has a second dream and in this second dream almost modifies the first dream. Like Daniel, like, like King Nebuchadnezzar, I was trying to get a hold of you, you didn't listen, so now the second dream is kinda oh, a little bit more uh, uh, pertinent to you. In that, that God's gonna take you out. Your head had gotten so big, remember this? We talked about your head getting so big, God'll pop it. Uh, Your head had gotten so big that now God's gonna have some judgment come upon your life. And the uh, effects of that dream we're gonna see at the end of chapter four today, where King Nebuchadnezzar kind of deals with a big setback in his life. And so the overarching question today we're gonna look at is, what is God's desired end game for you in the midst of a setback? What is God's desired end game for you in the midst of your setbacks? I've had this big setback in my life, whether it was self imposed or whether life set me back without me being a part of it, whatever it is, what is God's desired end game for you in the midst of those setbacks? And the first thing we're gonna see is that God would have you walk in humility. What's his end game for you? I want you to walk in humility. Uh, Either you will figure it out on your own and humble yourself before me, or I will come into the picture and I will humble you. But my desire for you is to walk in humility. And so we're gonna be, in chapter four, we're gonna start in verse 28. Let's read together. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. it says this. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of whose majesty? My majesty. So he he gets the the vision and, and Daniel interprets it and says your head's getting too big and right away, 12 months into it, he's right back at it again. This is the glory of my majesty. And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, What is God's desire end game for you in the midst of your setbacks? Number one, that you would walk in humility. We come on the scene. It's now 12 months since he had this vision. Daniel's interpreted the vision. And 12 months later, now the king is walking along a very flat path in his, you know, a flat roof of his kingdom. So in those days, they'd build their, their, their palaces with flat roofs. And that way they could walk around on the flat roof and look, look at everything. Look at what I look at the expanse that I own. Look at look at everything that I'm in charge of. Look at my kingdom and he's just walking around taking it all in. Really enjoying what he's done. Now remember we're in the 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 timeline of his kingdom where there is no opposition to him. The very beginning he was taking over the world once he took over the world this is all mine. I have no opposition now and now I can just relax, hang out in my palace. Walk along the top rooftops and just go, wow, look at what I've done. Look at what I've been able to create with my own hands. Look at the items that bring glory to my own majesty. That's the idea. And I thought it'd be interesting just to look back historically, what had he done? To give us a picture, because right now we just see him as a a gaudy guy, like, oh my gosh, you just think you're so into yourself, you're full of pride. But what actually did he do? Like what actually were were developed in the world because of him? Uh, What effects of change did he bring upon the world that would make him think he's so great? And so I did some research. Uh, He had been able to find a a way to channel the Euphrates River into a number of canals that passed right through the city and into his palaces. Uh, Big deal uh, for ancient times to be able to have an aqueduct kind of a system to, to bring water to a city that would make you sustainable. Uh, especially if you wanted to be able to fortify yourself and be able to stand any kind of opposition, you're gonna need water. And he was able to bring a water system in through to make sure they always had a constant flow of water. He built three palaces for himself, all in luxury with the finest materials. He built several temples, each of which to a different god because he wanted to pay homage to different gods because he wanted to entice them to serve his needs. And so all these temples are gorgeous and glorious. The temples, his palaces are gorgeous. He's got this water channel figured out. And then he was known for his vast fortifications. Uh, in his palace, he had a deep water moat. He had an intricate system of double walls, uh, some 20 to 25 feet deep and 40 feet high. And so there would be an outer wall that was thick. You had to get over that wall if you want to come attack my kingdom. And then there's an inner wall, and that one was thick as well, and you gotta get over that wall. Have you ever played Clash of Clans? Anybody? Clash of Clans? Like you, This guy was so fortified with so many walls deep, you couldn't penetrate him. Like, that's what he was known for. Uh, how do we take over this guy after this big fortress of a city that he's made that nobody could penetrate through? How do you do it? Last thing he was known for, in fact, the Greeks uh, named this thing the se- one of the seven wonders of the world. He's known for building a hanging gardens in the midst of his palace the very center of his palace, he had these hanging gardens that the Greeks would later call the seven wonders of the world. The story goes that he had a wife from Media, and this wife from Media was used to the mountainous ranges with trees and plants of every kind. And, and then when, he, when she married him, she ended up in Babylon, it's flat. And he goes, rather than have a wife that'll mint over this for the rest of her life, I'll build her a mountain with plants and trees of every kind. And by the way, I can do so because I built this aqueduct system to get us all the water we need to make these plants grow. And he built a mountain for his wife so she can go, look, it reminds me of my childhood. Became one of the seven wonders of the world in the mind of the Greeks in later years. So when he's walking across this palace top, the flat top of the palace, he's looking around. Look at my hanging gardens. Look at my temples. Look at my palaces. Look at these walls of fortification. Look at this moat. Nobody can penetrate me. Look at how wonderful I've made things. And the king of the world, nobody can take me out oh, wait, there is somebody who can take you out. the king of the world, look at my majesty. Oh, wait, there's somebody with a higher majesty. And in this process, he's continuing to think of himself in ways that doesn't leave room for the acknowledgement of God. That's a problem. You see, because God's the one who allows us to breathe. God's the one who allows us to wake up in the morning. So no matter how big your kingdom is becoming, no matter how much you've been able to do with your own hands, don't forget that there's someone out there who allows you to breathe every day, who wakes you up every morning. And he had forgotten that. And so we see in verses thirty-one to thirty-three, he is humbled. God says, now I'm gonna enact the consequences of that vision that I told you about. Uh, Daniel came and interpreted for you. You had an opportunity to turn around. You have not turned around. Your head continues to grow. You're getting bigger. And so therefore, I'm gonna now enact this consequence. I'm gonna take you out. In fact, it says, I'm gonna take your kingdom away from you. And the interesting thing about this, the irony here isn't necessarily that God comes through with what he said he would do. Oh, that's, that's just being consistent. The interesting thing or the ironic thing is it takes him 12 months to do it. Did you catch that in verse 29? At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof. God, why did you wait 12 months? Why did, you said this was gonna happen. You had this dream for him. I'm gonna take you down a notch. I'm gonna make you acknowledge who I am. Why did you wait 12 months? What was the 12 months all about? I think this is important because it parallels something uh, for us today. And that is this, that sometimes we can have a convictional idea in our heart that I know that God would have me live a certain way or do a certain thing differently, or I need to make this change. But then we drag our feet on this thing remember, Daniel's dream was very specific. You can repent and maybe God will relent. We go back to the story of Jonah and we say the same thing. Uh, God had this, uh, this horrible uh, you know, uh, prophecy to the Ninevites and they repented and God relented. So we see that in the scriptures that if you repent, God will relent. And so Daniel comes, you still have time, Nebuchadnezzar. You can repent and God may relent. Right now is the time. 12 months later and he has not repented and God says, now I'm gonna enact this. And sometimes what happens, I know convictionally, God has wanting me, I should do this, I should make this change in my life, but I'm not doing it, I'm dragging my feet. And in the process of dragging my feet, there is a gracious, peaceful, patient, long-suffering, merciful, compassionate God who gives me time to make the adjustment. And according to our passage, it was 12 months You gotta understand, you can never mistake that additional time and patience as an indicator of God's apathy towards your behavior. Don't take God's time and patience as an indicator of apathy towards your behavior. Of course, in this situation, there's a day of reckoning. It comes, God pulls through these consequences and reminds him of his objective standard. And just wanna, just take that in for a second. Don't mistake God's patience for apathy for the way you're living your life. Don't do that. And yet we all do that some way, shape, or form in our lives. If you do that, you may be sorely disappointed in the end. There's still time right now to repent and turn around. Do that before the consequences come. Ironically enough, we know that uh, uh, we have a historical or a modern day similar situation to King Nebuchadnezzar. In 1946, uh, there was a British mental health institution that had a person who was uh, dealing with this zoanthropy, which is the delusion that you are an animal. And ironically enough, as we're gonna see in our passage coming to, uh, come, as we read the next part of our passage, uh, what happened to that person is his hair became coarse and his fingernails became thick. Just this very same thing that happens to Nebuchadnezzar according to our passage. There is something to this thing.